Today we're going to be talking about natural family planning. So get ready to learn the basics of NFP, whether you're married or preparing for marriage. What's up you guys? Welcome back to Fashioned by Faith. I'm Lisa and I'm solo in the studio today to talk about a topic that is dear to my heart. Today I'm going to be talking about women's fertility and natural family planning. So whether you're a woman, a man, married or unmarried, this episode will give you an overview of how God designed our bodies and how we can love with a freedom that is total, faithful, and fruitful. (laughs) If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We hope you'll find this merging of fashion and faith to be joyful and lighthearted, and we hope to leave you as a happier human. Be sure to follow us on the gram at Fashioned by Faith Podcast, and we know you're on Facebook, you guys, (laughs) so just, you know, come on, join the discussion in the Facebook group called Fashioned by Faith. So don't worry, you guys. Um, Rachel will be back. Uh, She's literally still in Christmas celebration mode with her extended family. So (laughs) Rachel, I miss you, (laughs) but um, she'll be back on the show soon again. (laughs) When this episode releases, it will be January 15th, which is the feast of Our Lady of the Poor, Queen of Nations. And if you get any time this week, you should really um, Google that and read the story um, of the apparition of Our Lady of the Poor. It's, It's quite beautiful. So given that this is January and the March for Life is coming up, you guys. Um, It's coming up on Friday, January 24th. That's kind of my inspiration for today's topic. Um, This March, first of all, just in case you don't know about it, it happens annually in Washington, D.C. to mark the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, where unfortunately abortions became legal in 1973. So we have lost a lot, a lot of innocent lives since then. And so every January, we peacefully and joyfully march at the Capitol to tell our lawmakers that we would like our laws to protect women and their babies by making abortions illegal. So we went last year, my husband and I, with our two kids, and it was literally the perfect perfect time to go because they didn't desire to read any of the messages that were on, you know, the signs. I mean, I just was a little concerned about what kinds of things they might see. And I'm so thankful that, you know, everything was good. There was maybe only one sign that I didn't want my children to see. And we breezed past it without them even noticing, which was great. So it really was a very family friendly event. Um, But again, I was grateful, very grateful that we went at a time where neither of our children could read. So I didn't have to like field questions about a very adult topic, if that makes sense. So instead, um, you know, our children just knew the basics, which are, you know, we are marching because we're walking for the purpose of defending life from the moment of conception in a mother's womb. And my children could understand that well. 
So anyway, so I feel like January is the perfect time to reflect on the dignity of life. And I thought, you know, what better time to talk about natural family planning uh, with my listeners. <laughs> so we'll start off, if you don't mind, I'll just go over my highlights and lowlights from the week, uh, as I usually do with Rachel. It's kind of weird to not be doing it with her. <laughs> but my lowlight, you guys, this week was my daughter was sick. She had a fever, a cough, you know, runny nose. And then it finished with a terrible earache that transferred from one ear to the next. Um, so that was definitely my low light, like trying to get her to feel better. And just, you know, as a mom, you know, you get really concerned when your loved one is not feeling well. So uh, my highlights are, thank God she did get better. <laughs> and um, also, you guys, uh, thanks to your prayers, my father's eyesight has been restored Um so just so, so very grateful. You know, doctors are amazing and the power of your prayers are amazing. So he's expected to have a full recovery. And uh, this week, later this week, he'll be able to start reading and using the computer again. So, so, so very grateful for your prayers. Thank you so much. That was definitely a highlight for me. <laughs> and also, uh, since I talked to you last, a highlight for me and my family was we had our house blessed on the Feast of the Epiphany which is a tradition that unfortunately not a lot of Catholic families, at least in our area, are doing much anymore. But I had read about it and I thought, oh, this is so awesome. Let's do this. Um, so we asked our parish priest if he would come over on the Feast of the Epiphany. So he came over after Mass and um, yeah, he, you know, gave us a blessing. He blessed our home, said some beautiful prayers and read some beautiful readings from the Bible. And then he chalked our entryways. And what that means is with chalk, he wrote above our entryways or the side of the entryway, whatever is convenient. Um, you know, he puts the year 2020 and the initials of the three wise men uh, because it is the feast of the epiphany when the wise men arrived to baby Jesus that this tradition happens. So, um, yeah, so I hope we can do it again next year. It's the first time that our family has ever done this and our kids really, really, really enjoyed it. So I just encourage you, you know, if you haven't had it done, you know, call up your local priest, um, see if he's willing to come out. I'm sure they can do it throughout the year. Um, you know, at the very least, try to put it on your uh, schedule for, you know, next Feast of the Epiphany, but I really don't think you have to wait that long and it's, it's quite lovely. So anyway, and then another highlight I have to tell you guys, oh my gosh, like, the springtime weather we have been enjoying in my area has been awesome. It's not characteristic of what January usually is for us around here, but we have had days lately where it's 65 degrees and we're walking around without jackets. My son wanted to wear his shorts the other day and I was like, go right ahead. It is delightful and it is even warm in the evenings when the sun has gone down we're quite comfortable. Anyway, I'm just so thankful. And I feel like I can deal with winter months when God gives us like temperature breaks like this, where it's, you know, it warms up a little bit. So yeah. Anyway, let's get into the fashion confession. <music> So I love this little segment and I decided to move the fashion confession 
up to the front of our uh, podcast episode uh, just for the fun of it (laughs) rather than making you guys wait until the end. So let me know what you think of its new placement. I also love finding things to confess that aren't sins. It's kind of refreshing. (laughs) All right, so here's my confession for this week. Um, I love fake hair. (laughs) Now, if you are one of my friends, you would know this about me. I have worn wigs in the past. I have definitely worn hair extensions in the past. I've done like fake ponytails and stuff like that. And these days, you guys, I have been enjoying a fake hair bun in my hair. So (laughs) it's kind of given me a lot of hair to deal with because I already have really long hair, but I'm loving the fake, the fake hair too, because it just kind of like, I don't know, it gives me this massive, massive bun on the back of my head and I'm having fun with it. (laughs) Okay. So a fashion trend that I have been observing lately, tell me if you've seen this, you guys, It is high-waisted skirts. They're kind of like A-line skirts, but they're very high-waisted. Sometimes they're paper bag um, style at the top. Often there's like a little tie belt kind of thing, but I am just loving high-waisted skirts. I had to kind of get comfortable with the idea because usually I was used to wearing my skirts lower. Um, But high-waisted is really fun and fresh, and that is a trend that I have been embracing lately, so yeah. Now, a fashion frustration that I often experience at this time of year, in fact, I was just talking about it with my my friend Abby, who you know, uh, because we recorded our last podcast episode with Abby. Um, The frustration is when my sleeves, my long sleeves in this winter time, get wet just from washing my hands and you guys like I feel like whenever I'm washing my hands I also have my four-year-old in front of me washing her hands and so when you're trying to wash your own hands and wash your four-year-old's hands and navigate the soap and the towel and everything inevitably (laughs) my own sleeves get wet and that is really really frustrating so I do have a solution and it does not involve changing clothes, which is good. Um, but I always forget this solution, but I need to just take a, um, a tissue and crumple it up and stuff it inside, um, you know, the wrist of my sleeve because, yeah, that would, uh, that would help things dry out and not be so annoying, right? <laughs> oh, anyway, um, my favorite thing this week, you guys, has been this... L'Oreal lip color. I just love it. Um, It's kind of pricey. It's like $13, but one side is like this lip gloss kind of color thing that you put on with a little wand, and then after the color dries on your lips, then the other side is a clear like balm that you put over top of it, and I just absolutely love it. I have been using it nonstop, and I decided to like branch out and try a new color that was a mistake. But you guys, CVS is awesome because little known fact, um, CVS will take back, I think, just about any beauty product if you don't like it. Um, No questions asked, even if you've used it. And I found this out just randomly from a sales associate one day who told me and I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. And I've remembered it. So anyway, I just was able to take the color back that I didn't like. And I got to pick another one. So Thank you, CVS. (laughs) 
I really enjoyed our veil episode with Abby last week, and I hope you guys did too. So be sure to check out some of the fun postings in response to that episode on our group page on Facebook. Erin's um, photo submission was the best. So it's in one of the comments. It's not like a, an original post. It's just like in the thread of comments under something. So be sure to join and I think you do have to get approval from me, but I will of course approve you, but it's, um, I think it's a closed, in fact, I know it's a closed group, but you can find us, we're searchable by Fashioned by Faith, and then just request to join and I'll approve you and then you can, uh, yeah, you can hang out with us on there. <laughs> so you guys, are you ready to get into NFP? Let's do this. <music> All right, so before we begin on this lovely topic of natural family planning, I I just want to give you um, a little caveat or a little, you know, like precursor to everything I'm about to say. So I have a teaching background, not a medical background. Um, so just keep that in mind. This is everything that I have learned from different workshops I have attended, um, classes taught by um, natural family planning instructors that do have a medical background and are very knowledgeable. Um, this is what I have assimilated from different sources over the last decade, um, but I speak from a place that is not a medical background. So this is a disclaimer, I guess, <laughs> that's what I mean to say. So anything that I say in this episode, you know, please, um, please don't take as like the gospel truth, you know, do your own fact checking, check what I say, um, especially because, you know, science is constantly learning and improving and changing and we're getting better and better in many ways, I think, as humanity. So, um, you know, take what I say for what it's worth. This is um, what I have learned and what I have put into practice. Um, but, you know, go the extra mile and and make sure that you kind of do your research uh, before you, um, I don't know, like put all, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, I guess I'm trying to say. Um, I am, I am not a natural family planning instructor. Um, and I do not have a medical background. However, I will tell you that I have given this presentation um, on this topic to um, different groups over the last several years. Um, most of the groups that I have presented to um, are young adults who are, you know, discerning the call to marriage and maybe have not yet met their spouse, but they wanted just kind of an overview of what natural family planning is. Um, so that they've got some background knowledge on the topic so that, you know, someday when they do meet their spouse, um, they can have a coherent conversation on this topic and hopefully decide that it's something that they are interested in. Um, in this presentation, I, I say presentation because perfectly honestly, I am looking at my computer screen right now and I'm looking at the slides that I usually have projected behind me when I'm talking to a group uh, about this topic. So you will hear me say presentation because I am 
doing my presentation, except this is a whole lot more casual, you guys. Like, I just feel like here in our little podcast community, um, I just feel like I'm a lot more real and a lot more casual with you guys. So, um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the background of where this is coming from. <laughs> so um, when I refer to um, conjugal love or the marital act, um, please know that I'm referring to that in the context of the sacrament of marriage. And my hope is that this discussion today is going to give you a glimpse into the beauty of what a marriage is called by God to be. Our Catholic faith has many beautiful reasons why I think, you know, premarital unions should be avoided. And please know the reason why I'm selecting my words carefully here is I I believe that if certain words are said on the podcast, I would have to tag this particular episode as being explicit. Um, so we're going to keep this G-rated. <laughs> um you know, appropriate for, you know, all ears, if that makes sense. (laughs) Um, So like I said, um, our Catholic faith has many beautiful reasons why that premarital type of union should be avoided. I'm not here to condemn, but I rather, I just want to show you how great is the joy that God calls married persons to. My goal today is to remove the stigma that natural family planning is not accurate or that it's only for Catholics or that it's burdensome to couples. And I I think by the end of the presentation, I hope you will see that indeed those things are not true. And ideally, I would like you to believe in its accuracy and its benefits before you meet your spouse so that it aids in your discernment during courtship. Now, unfortunately, given that this is a podcast format, I can't have you guys interrupt me anytime with questions, but normally when I give this presentation, I definitely tell people like, please go ahead and interrupt me anytime if you have a question. So I guess listeners, as we go here, I would just really encourage you to have a piece of paper handy and, you know, if a question bubbles up inside of you, please jot it down because you can always shoot me an email. You can always... Uh, put up a comment or message on Facebook um, because I I would love to have the opportunity to answer your questions. All right, so let's talk about a basic theology of marriage first, okay? Now, this is kind of a summary that I've learned from Christopher West. You have probably heard about him. He is a writer on the topic of theology of the body, and he's an international um, speaker on the topic. Um, I guess first and foremost, I'll just say that we believe as Catholics that marriage is a sacrament and the spousal union is to be free, total, faithful, and fruitful. Marriage calls for a mutual self-surrender so intimate and so complete that spouses, without losing their individuality, become one. And conjugal love is to be the merging of the human and the divine. All actions should be an expression of love and respect for the other person and how God uniquely made us male or female. And the marital act is truly meant to be a renewing of the couple's wedding vows. So these are beautiful but tall orders 
um, that all couples should aspire to. And keep in mind that, you know, more than two thirds of what the Catholic Church has ever said about marriage in her, you know, 2000 year history has actually come from Pope St. John Paul II's pontificate. And that was between 1978 and 2005. So he was just a powerhouse of reflections um, that I really think can really open our minds and open our hearts um, to the truth of, of what God has planned for us. So being a former math teacher, I always like to, when I give a presentation, I always like to kind of start off with essential questions that I want to just kind of throw out there without answers initially, but questions that I want to put in your mind so that you're on the lookout for the answer to those questions as we go through this discussion. And then my hope is by the end, you will, you know, definitely be able to answer them um, with some confidence. Okay, so I have four essential questions for you, you guys. <laughs> the first is, um, what is modern day Catholic marital unions <laughs> and how are they different from our parents and grandparents' generations? Second question is, what is natural family planning or NFP? The third is, why is NFP the only means of family planning approved by the Catholic Church? And then lastly, what are the benefits of using NFP? So those are all the things that I hope to be able to answer in this podcast episode today. But first, let's go back and take a look at the history of what maybe the previous generations before us may have experienced and why I think we are so lucky to be living to be living at the time that we are right now. So back in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, you know, those couples, they knew that marriage was a sacrament. Uh, they knew that they should be open to the gift of new life and treat one another lovingly. But the rhythm method was what was used by most couples for spacing children. I don't know if you've heard about the rhythm method before. Um, but it is hardly scientific <laughs> and it makes no allowance for the differences that a woman might experience between each cycle. So the rudimentary kind of thought for the rhythm method is something like this. Uh, if you didn't get pregnant on day 10 of your cycle last month, then you probably won't get pregnant on day 10 of this cycle. Okay, so it's just operating under the pretense that you believe your cycle is going to be exactly the same from month to month. But, um, you know, I think we all know that that's, that's just not the case. So then we move into the 1960s and the 1970s. Now, couples who, you know, were newly married at this time, they essentially believed the same things as, you know, the previous couples in the generations before them. But these couples feel felt tremendous cultural pressure to try the contraceptive pill because it recently made its debut uh, during the 60s and 70s. It was just kind of coming out at that point. And the devastating physical and emotional consequences of the pill quickly became known to medical scientists and to some psychologists. But most couples at this time in the 60s and 70s, they did not realize the slippery slope they were on. 
And then the women's liberation movement was in full force at this time. So abortions, sterilizations, and divorce rates all started to rise, you guys, okay? Now, then we go into 1978. And in 1978, my hero, St. <laughs> Pope John Paul II, begins his pontificate where he will deliver to us more than two-thirds of all that the church has ever taught us about marriage in 2,000 years, like I mentioned previously. So his brave and beautiful teachings at this point are going to start illuminating the joys of the sacrament of marriage like never before. And these teachings will later become known as the theology of the body. Keep in mind that he isn't making up new stuff. The church and her teachings are ever ancient, ever new. God reveals to us what we need to know when we need to know it. So the combination of this Pope and science has revealed more of God's plan to us, in my opinion. So then we go into the 1980s. I, I should have, you know what, <laughs> when I prepared this, I should have started to talk about what was very fashionable in wedding dresses at that time. Because what you're not seeing, you guys, in my presentation here on my slides is I have samples of, um, you know, couples wearing their attire from their wedding day. And I wish you could see what the 1980s couples, um, you know, what these brides and grooms look like. It's It's really cute. I love it. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the 1980s couple, this couple finally has a chance to hear some of JP2's teachings. JP2 is um, how I often refer to John Paul II. So his teachings on marriage and the family. But most do not hear the information because, think about it, the internet is not yet available. So natural family planning becomes well documented at this time in medical research. But you know, it's just not out there for the masses. And many couples feel intimidated to learn the material because if you wanted to learn it, it would require extensive reading, you know, of, of medical type documents. So meanwhile, at the same time, the US Surgeon General launches a massive advertising campaign to promote condom use. And couples feel pressured to use them and feel uneducated if they do not. Now let's go to the 1990s couple. So at this time, high-tech medical advances allow for ovulation detection, new scientific awareness of conception and infertility starts to, you know, really bolster the validity of natural family planning. And then finally, you guys, the debut of the internet starts to help spread JP2's messages about marriage and the family. And couples in the 1990s are just now starting to get a glimpse of the full beauty of the church's teaching on marriage and the use of natural family planning. But now let's fast forward to, you know, the couple of today in 2020. By this point, all of JP2's writings on marriage and family are easily accessible thanks to the internet, YouTube, and the publications of you know, various authors like Christopher West who help us to easily understand 
uh, JP2's messages. There's even phone apps today, you guys, right? And other kinds of techie devices that you can even buy at places like CVS <laughs> that make it extremely easy for busy modern day couples to learn and use NFP effectively and with minimal prep or, or time investment ahead of time. So finally, today, married couples know the how and the why um, for using natural family planning. So couples today can enjoy an exciting, joy-filled, pleasurable love life, you know, that is founded on these beautiful truths. So I just feel that, you know, it's a it's a very, very good, good time to be alive. So I just want to take a moment to make a book recommendation to you. Um, in this podcast episode, I'm not going to be talking about like the graphic details of what the Catholic Church teaches on what should or should not happen um, between a couple in the marital embrace. But if you have details, uh, I'm sorry, if you have questions about details like that, a book I would recommend to you is by Christopher West. It's called The Good News About SEX and Marriage. Again, spelling that out for you because I don't want to have to mark this episode as explicit. <laughs> um, the revised edition is what you want to look for, and it is a wonderful, easy-to-read book. It's in a Q&A format, and Christopher answers your questions in detail. It is very, very detailed, but it's also very dignified um, about why, kind of, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just really, really good. It's got a lot of nitty-gritty detail about the loving reasons behind um, why certain things should happen and why certain things shouldn't. So definitely, definitely check out that book. Before we go on, I do have another disclaimer, and that is this. I want you to know that Catholic couples do not need to use NFP at all, ever, in order to have happy, holy marriages. So everything that I speak of is not something you have to do as a Catholic. In fact, a lot of my friends refuse to use natural family planning and they live in the freedom of loving one another as the Holy Spirit prompts them to. And they are completely open to the gift of new life whenever that happens and it can be a surprise. So even though I'm going to be teaching you um, how to understand natural family planning and how to remain open to the gift of new life. Um, I just don't want you to think that NFP is something that you have to use um, as a Catholic or, you know, just as a Christian. Um, of course, we always want to be open to new life and um, our conscience and our hearts tell us that we don't want to put any barrier between the man and the woman. Um, we want to always be open to whatever God wills. Um, but the, I guess the perspective of NFP is that it gives us a little bit of understanding of a woman's fertility um, so that we have some knowledge going into it, what may result. Um, but again, if this is not for you, don't use it at all. But, you know, please don't use contraception. Um, and we'll talk here in a little bit about why uh, the church teaches us not to use contraception.
let me give you a little bit of a background on me. So as I mentioned previously, I have a teaching background, not a medical background. And I speak to you as a user, an experienced user of natural family planning, but definitely not as an expert on the topic. I am always learning. And so I welcome learning from you as well through email or through the Facebook group. Um, I trained with my husband on natural family planning uh, before marriage. And then when we got married, we didn't really use it in the beginning of our marriage at all. Um, we achieved a pregnancy without any charting or written documentation of how it happens. I mean, <laughs> we know how it happened, but, you know, I think you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> anyway, we uh, doubted its effectiveness um, and we became very hesitant to use natural family planning. But eventually, we relearned the material, we started using it, and we became very comfortable with it. Um, and at the end of this discussion, I will cite my resources to you so that you kind of know where I'm coming from. And I feel like every couple, every marriage, you know, there's always an evolution and hopefully we are always growing into better humans. And uh, lately, my husband and I have really been, been seeing uh, the advantages to not using NFP at all. Uh, like I mentioned previously, there is a great, great freedom in that, um, you know, and, and it really requires a beautiful, loving trust in one another and most foremost, uh, God. All right, so I want you to meditate for a little bit here on what your background is. And I want you to think from your experience, from your perspective, I want you to think of something that you think NFP is, and then I want you to think of something that NFP is not from your perspective. And next I want you to ponder, when do you think couples should begin to discuss natural family planning? Do you think it should be, you know, on a first date or during courtship or, you know, when you're finally engaged or should it be shortly after you're married? What do you think? Um, that would be a really good discussion to, to have in our Facebook group. So I would say my answer to those questions, um, you know, here's what I think NFP is not. It is not, you know, Catholic contraception. Uh, it is not synthetic or artificial. It is not expensive. It is not damaging to a woman's body or to a marriage. It's definitely not your grandmother's rhythm method. <laughs> and it is also not abstinence. The definition of natural family planning is a method which allows spouses to identify times of fertility and infertility by recognizing changes that occur during a woman's menstrual cycle. So we're not always fertile. And learning NFP means we can learn when women are fertile and when we are not. What NFP is, I would argue, is it's natural, it's inexpensive, if not completely free. It can be put into practice by single women long before a woman is married 
and ready to use the system with her husband. It is very accurate in achieving pregnancy. It's accurate in postponing pregnancy. And often it can be the first indicator of, an, of a health issue that may have otherwise gone unnoticed. An NFP, you guys, is the only method of family planning approved by the Catholic Church, and for good reason. Now let's talk about what contraception is. Contraception is a physical barrier that separates and prevents the full communion of persons in the sacrament of marriage. It completely closes off the couple from God's gift of new life. Contraception can also be a chemical inhibitor, which prevents ovulation, or it can prevent the implantation of a newly conceived baby, or it can cause the destruction of a child that is already implanted in his mother's womb. I think a lot of people don't realize that, especially the one where it can prevent implantation. I do believe there are a lot of women, some women even that I know, who are using a chemical, you know, oral contraceptive, and they did not realize until we spoke that some of these will allow for conception, but just not the implantation of that baby into the womb because the womb becomes a place that is just not suitable for new life. A person can also fall into a contraceptive mentality, even if they are not actively using a physical or chemical contraception. And this mentality has negative effects on the exchange of love between the couple. And I think it's extremely easy to fall into a contraceptive mentality because it's extremely easy for us to think that we are in charge, that everything is on our shoulders, almost as if we could operate without God's grace or control. And, and of course, that's not true. But I think a contraceptive mentality is maybe the very first thing we have to be on guard against um, because you could have that mentality and be so anti-life because of your own fears potentially. And yeah, so just, just be aware of that. Now, the act of using contraception, I truly do believe stands in direct opposition to the vows that a couple makes to each other before God on their wedding day. And like using contraception, you guys, really has a lot of negative effects. And these are these are documented. So let me just share with you some of the negative effects of contraception. Um, if a couple is using contraception, they subject themselves to a tendency of less communication, less attraction, and a higher divorce rate. And the less attraction thing has to do with um, certain pheromones and things that are released or not released, um, depending on um, chemicals that a woman might be putting in her body. Another negative effect is an increased tendency for one's spouse to use the other for their own pleasure, which begins to erode the relationship. In addition, wedding vows are not fully renewed 
because the giving of oneself completely to the other is not really happening. And chemical contraception drastically increases the woman's chance of heart attack, high blood pressure, stroke, breast cancer, liver cancer, cervical cancer, depression, weight gain, miscarriage, and permanent infertility. And so all of these things that I said very quickly, all of these things are backed by scientific research that has been done over the last few decades. And these are devastating effects. And I don't think any of us would want to subject ourselves or our marriage um, to them. So why NFP? I think NFP poses a wonderful solution. Natural family planning reflects the dignity of the human person within the context of marriage and family life. It promotes openness to life and recognizes the value of each and every child from the moment of conception. You guys, I'm telling you, NFP can truly enrich the bond between husband and wife because it respects that love-giving and life-giving nature of marriage. And it kind of just makes you love more completely. It's, it's You just really put yourself out there because it's like, ah, I'm taking the plunge, you know, here we go. Like, I'm going to love you completely. And that includes your fertility. Our church believes that intercourse, by its very nature, is procreative, which means life-giving, and unitive, love-giving. To eliminate either of these equal aspects would change the meaning of intercourse as it comes from God himself. So we must make sure that it is always unitive, life-giving, I'm sorry, love-giving, and always procreative, life-giving. Of course, we're going to talk in a little bit about how God designed a woman's cycle. She is cyclical in her fertility, so she is periodically fertile, but not all the time. So that does not mean that every act of love is going to result in new life. But our conscience asks us and our hearts ask us to, um, to remain open to the possibility. The reasons for using NFP go beyond biology. Understanding the holiness of the marriage covenant is rooted in the beauty of God's commands. Quote, what we do with our bodies expresses our deepest held convictions about ourselves, God, the meaning of love, and the ordering of the universe. When the church's sacramental view of the body is taken seriously, we understand that the marital union is not only a biological process, but a profound theological process. And this mystery is a profound one. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, end quote. Um, that was from a book by Christopher West. And uh, he also makes reference to Ephesians 5.32. Now, I have a, another beautiful quote that I want to share from M. L. Barron in a book called Natural Family Planning, A Catholic Approach. And here it is. Pope St. John Paul II said that the human body is representative of God and all his mysteries. 
God uses our bodies to reveal the truth of himself. Jesus teaches us the meaning of life is in loving one another. Right? The Bible says, quote, love one another as I have loved you. That's John 15, 12. So how did Christ love us? He gave up his life for us. God's love for us made flesh in Jesus Christ. Christ's love is the reality of the body. So thus, in the gift of our bodies to one another, we act on our love as Christ loved us. Married love is different from any other kind of love. By the very nature of the two becoming one, this kind of love is ordered toward God and one another. Creating new life together is cooperating with God's design. Loving acts between husband and wife are representations of God's love for his creation. God's love for us is never sterile. End quote. Throughout his pontificate, Pope John Paul II desired to integrate the scientific study of personal relationships with the revelation of God's plan for marriage. Recalling his reflections on the relationships of men and women, John Paul II spoke about how NFP methods enable a couple to remain open to God's gift of life while accounting for the whole person by accepting dialogue, reciprocal respect, shared responsibility, and self-control. And then I want to just read a little bit more to you, and then I'll get back to the talking part. Um, This was an article from CNA, the Catholic News Agency. This was uh, from 2015. Let me just read it to you. Um, If you ask Archbishop Aquila, theology of the body and natural family planning, both practiced practical resources on human sexuality, may be the church's best kept secrets. Quote, the truth is the church has many positive things to say about the gift of our sexuality. End quote. Archbishop Samuel Aquila of Denver said February 8th at a dinner for teachers of natural family planning. Theology of the body is the corpus of 129 general audiences, I'm sorry, general audience addresses delivered by St. John Paul II from 1979 to 1984 regarding the human person and human sexuality. The heart of these teachings is the sacramental view of reality on human sexuality, meaning that human bodies have a language that reveals something about the mystery of God's inner life. And we believe that the importance of theology of the body and the positive impact of natural family planning are foundational pillars to understand how Christ redeemed human sexuality after the fall of Adam and Eve. Let's talk about who uses natural family planning. It could be couples hoping to achieve a pregnancy, couples who have discerned that they need to postpone pregnancy, couples struggling with infertility or miscarriages, breastfeeding women, perimenopausal women, women with regular or irregular cycles, and even women experiencing health problems. 
such as hormonal imbalance, abnormal bleeding, ovarian cysts, or PMS. A component of NFP, I think, is prayerful discernment. So couples are called to discern whether or not to be open to pregnancy with generous, open hearts. It's something I feel that all couples should discuss or think about just about on a daily basis. Because like I kind of alluded to earlier, believe it or not, a couple can use natural family planning with a fully contraceptive mentality that is little different from actually using artificial contraception. Now, Humanae Vitae is an encyclical written by Pope Paul VI in 1968. And in Humanae Vitae, it tells us that couples should use NFP when they have serious or grave reason to avoid pregnancy. However, Humanae Vitae is also clear in that it is up to the discernment of the couple as to what constitutes a grave reason. So a lot of my Catholic friends will say, well, you know, does the church provide us with a definitive list as to when a couple has reason to postpone pregnancy? And no, in her wisdom, Holy Mother Church does not do that. And at this point in my presentation, I usually um, pass out um, a beautiful article that I printed off the internet that explains why the church has wisdom in this area by not giving that definitive list, by allowing couples to discern that on an individual basis, given their individual circumstances. And I would just encourage couples to seek the guidance of their local parish priest and, you know, if part of your gut feels like, you know, I need to get somebody else's opinion, then go to another priest, go to another priest. Um, keep kind of seeking the truth if you feel you have not hit it. Let's talk about the accuracy and benefits of NFP. It is 98 to 99% effective, and this would be measured by those needing to avoid pregnancy or space births, when used correctly and consistently. It works with a woman's natural cycle. It does not harm the woman's body, nor the environment. And when I say environment, I'm talking about how a lot of women who are taking oral chemical contraceptives, um, those chemicals are coming out of their bodies in urine and it is polluting our water supply. Um, I have read some articles that said, um, you know, some of the chemicals that are inside these pills um, are showing up in, in high amounts in our bloodstream because there's just so much of it. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say bloodstream. I, I meant to say water supply. Um, so that's really interesting. It has It's having an effect on the environment. NFP can help us to identify health issues. It takes into account that not every woman is the same and not every menstrual cycle is the same. There have been studies to prove that it increases and improves couples' communication in marriage, and it has a 95% success rate in helping treat PMS or postpartum depression. To continue, NFP prevents couples from using one another. It helps spouses love the complete and entire person, including his or her, his or her fertility. 
get this, you guys, it is nearly three times more successful than IVF for assisting infertile couples and does not result in early abortions or frozen embryos. It helps high-risk pregnancies to last full term. In fact, NAPRO technology has helped cut the premature birth rate nationally from 12.1% to now 7%. And we'll talk more about what NAPRO technology is. To continue with the accuracy and benefits of NFP, it fosters mutual decision-making. It heightens sexual attraction between spouses, whereas the pill decreases it. It helps us better understand the vocation of the sacrament of marriage and being co-creators with God. And couples who use NFP are significantly less likely to divorce. So all of those are very compelling reasons why I think all of us should look into and understand NFP, whether you're Catholic or not. Now, there are different kinds of methodologies of NFP. And so I'm going to kind of share with you um, a list of educational resources for the different schools of thought, as it were. Each school of thought kind of teaches a little bit differently. Um, The methods are a little bit different. And so let me just kind of give you this list. And maybe you want to even jot these down as things to look online about. So one is called the Billings ovulation method. Some people will learn that that is a type of NFP. There's also a type of NFP taught by the Couple to Couple League. Uh, There is the Creighton model of fertility care. There is an organization called Families of America that teaches their method of NFP. There is the Marquette model. There is the NAPRO technology. And then the last one, Symptothermal method, is what I have experience in. But all of these methods um, are all types of natural family planning. So next in my presentation, I usually show people samples of different ways of documenting in natural family planning. So each of those different methodologies that I spoke of, they all have sort of different ways that they might chart. Maybe some people might chart vertically, some people might chart horizontally. Um, Some are drawing lines, others are plotting dots. Um, Some require the use of fun color-coded stickers. Um, Whatever the kind of, you know, methodology you find yourself gravitating toward, there is probably some sort of documentation strategy that comes with it. There's also all kinds of cool technology devices out there as well. There are apps that you can use on your phone to monitor a woman's fertility. Um, There are little paper strips you can get that kind of look like pregnancy tests, but again, they are to monitor fertility. Um, You've probably heard of the Clear Blue Fertility Monitor that is digital, or the OvaQ uh, Fertility Monitor that has um, a little wand that you stick inside your mouth um, to look at salt content in your saliva. There's even this cool little thing that kind of looks like a tube of lipstick that you can carry in your purse (laughs) and a woman it's called lady q that's one of the brands a woman can spit onto a little piece of glass her saliva can dry and she can look at it uh, under this microscope that is contained in this little lipstick looking thing and she can make some 
predictions about her fertility and changes in it um, based on the drying patterns in her saliva. And then seriously, just take a look on your smartphone in the app store. There are all kinds of wonderful, you know, some better than others, but there's lots and lots of apps out there to help couples track their fertility. You know, but despite all of these wonderful things that we have at our fingertips, which are really bringing natural family planning to the masses, from my personal perspective, the basics I would recommend is just a basal digital thermometer, toilet tissue, <laughs> and a simple chart. Um, so I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit, but sometimes less is more. Um, and those are the things that I would recommend. So if you're interested in picking up a basal digital thermometer, you can look on Amazon, you could look at you know a drugstore, but you would wanna look for one that has features like this. It should be digital and very fast reading. It should measure to 0.01 or one hundredth of a degree. Uh, it should beep while it's taking a reading. That's pretty significant, I find, because when you're taking your temperature, and I'll explain more about this in a moment, but you try to do it in the morning when you first wake up before you get out of bed. And sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but I am groggy in the mornings. <laughs> so if I don't have my mouth fully closed around that thermometer, I'm going to get a false reading. So I appreciate that my thermometer will beep every maybe second, I don't know what it is, it's pretty frequent, um, to tell me that it's getting an accurate reading. Um, and it will stop beeping if my mouth opens up too much and I'm not getting a good reading. So check to see if the thermometer beeps while taking a reading. And then mine and yours should too, it should beep differently when the reading is finished. Um, it should have a memory to save the last reading so that you don't have to read it immediately when you've just woken up. And it should have a light up screen uh, to be able to read your temperature in the dark if you desire to do so. So at this point in my presentation, I do just a quick review of the female anatomy. But the big takeaway that I want you guys to have today is that a woman is fertile sometimes. A woman is fertile sometimes. And then I do a review of the male anatomy, and the big takeaway from that is that he is fertile always. So a woman is fertile sometimes, and a man is fertile always. Now let's go over some definitions, um, just so that we're familiar and we're using the same words the understanding of the words as we go through my overview of NFP. Because you know, some of these things, like you may not have heard an official definition since you were like, you know, in health class in middle school or something, right? <laughs> All right, so first up, menses. This is when a woman has her period, which is to shed the lining of her uterus in preparation for the development of a new lining in the coming days. Estrogen is the hormone which causes a woman's body to produce mucus as she approaches the day that she will release an egg. Progesterone is the hormone which causes a woman's body to maintain the endometrial lining of the uterus in preparation for possible pregnancy. Ovulation is when a woman releases an egg. 
Conception is when a sperm and egg unite to form a baby. Fertile is when the body is ready to conceive. Infertile is when the body is not ready to conceive. You'll hear me talk about a pre-rise baseline. This is your typical low waking temperature for a woman. And then the full thermal shift is her typical high waking temperature for, for her. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. So let's talk about a woman's cycle of fertility. I guess I would summarize it this way. She starts off with, you know, having her period and that beginning part of her cycle. I, I guess I would divide the cycle into three general areas. The first part includes her period and the days that follow that are dry. And I would call that the pre-ovulatory, relatively infertile phase. <laughs> okay. Um, speaking generally here. Then in the middle of her cycle, you know, maybe like say day nine through 17, somewhere around there, uh, she goes through her fertile phase. And we're going to see the mucus um, of her body kind of change, where her vaginal mucus will become, it will have gone from, you know, maybe dry to then um, more sticky, eventually to very clear and stretchy, which would be as she approach, approaches ovulation. And then after ovulation, there becomes a change where it becomes um, more opaque and sticky again, and then finally back to dry. Um, that fertile phase that I speak of often is characterized by um, six lower temperatures and then suddenly three higher temperatures. That's um, kind of a way that a woman might be able to define that she has ovulated. And then um, the last phase is the post-ovulatory infertile phase. And then her cycle will start again when she gets her period. So let's go into more detail in each of these three phases. So phase one of the menstrual cycle, as I said, is called the pre-ovulatory phase. So this would include menses, the days that she has her period, as well as the days that lead up to the release of an egg. And again, that is ovulation. So there's a special day that she wants to be on the lookout for, and that is called peak day. P-E-A-K. That's what we call it, peak day in layman's terms, okay? So peak day is the last day of any clear, cloudy, or even like blood-tinged, stretchy mucus, or the last day of a wet, lubricative sensation. This indicates that ovulation is about to take place either on that day or 24 to 48 hours later. Charting for several months will help you to kind of forecast when peak day is likely to happen for you. Okay, so at this point in my presentation, sometimes I'm kind of losing my um, viewers, my listeners, <laughs> and they're like, wait, what? What is peak day? Why is it important? Can you repeat that? So <laughs> let me just repeat it. Peak day, and this is what you want to be on the look for, is the last day, the last day of any clear, cloudy, or blood-tinged, stretchy mucus, or the last day of a wet, lubricative sensation. 
This indicates that ovulation is about to take place either on that day or 24 to 48 hours later. Okay, that's what peak day is. And so a woman, as she is going through her cycle, she's trying to identify peak day so that she can estimate when ovulation is going to happen right after that. Now let's talk about phase two of the menstrual cycle. This would be called the ovulatory phase. So this is when a ripe egg or an ovum reaches maturity and it bursts out of the follicle from the ovary. If the woman is going to release more than one egg, which can happen, the other eggs will ripen and burst out from the ovary within 24 hours of the first ovulation. So that's important to keep in mind. It will burst out from the ovary within 24 hours of the first ovulation. The egg is then picked up by the fallopian tube and propelled through it. The egg will live for 12 to 24 hours and then disintegrate in the fallopian tube, I'm sorry, if it is not fertilized by sperm. So everything is, is happening there in the fallopian tube. If there's no sperm there to fertilize the egg, it will disintegrate right there in the fallopian tube. And that egg that I speak of is typically only viable for 12 to 16 hours of that 24 hour window. Just goes to show you how much new life is, is a rare, precious thing. Now, if it is fertilized by sperm, this miraculous moment of conception, you won't believe this, you guys, it actually begins with a bright fireworks show. I'm not kidding you. And it lasts about two hours. So inside the woman's body, there is actually fluorescence happening when she conceives new life. There is bright shining light inside her body for about two hours when she conceives a child. How amazing is that? And if you don't believe me, look it up on Google. Um, the fluorescence was photographed by scientists for the first time in 2016, so very recently. That's just amazing to me. Uh, the ovum undergoes cell division, so the, the baby undergoes cell division as it begins the journey from the fallopian tube to the uterus to find the perfect cozy spot for implantation into the endometrial lining of the womb. And this journey typically takes six days and will conclude sometime in the next phase, which is phase three. So it takes approximately six days from that newly conceived child, that moment of the beautiful fireworks inside of the woman's body, all that light. Uh, it takes the baby about six days to work his or her way down into the um, uterus and find a spot to burrow into, into mom and, and be attached by the umbilical cord. Now, just to kind of give you an overview of the menstrual cycle, there's, again, like three phases, as I was saying. There's the follicular phase, 
where, you know, there's low estrogen at the end of menses after a woman is done having her period. Um, but estrogen starts to increase, increase, increase. Um, and there's the pro- proliferation fra- phase that is influenced by that increase in estrogen and the thickness of the endometrium rapidly increases. And then there's the um, luteinizing hormone, which causes ovulation. It causes the ovary to kind of spit out an egg, if you will. And then progesterone in the luteal phase um, causes the corpus luteum, which I believe is the place from which the egg was released uh, to kind of shrink down and disappear. And simultaneously, um, the progesterone is causing the lining of the woman's uterus to become very vascular. There's a lot of blood vessels growing all to um, accommodate that baby. All right, so we just talked about ovulation. Now let's go into phase three of the menstrual cycle. This would be called this would be called the post-ovulatory phase. So this consists of one or two fertile days immediately following ovulation, plus all the days after that are infertile. It is almost always a standard length of 11 to 16 days. And during this time, a woman's basal body temperature will remain high due to the production of progesterone and due to the possibility of pregnancy. So it's it's as if the woman's cooking that bun in the oven, um, her, her temperature, her waking temperature is going to be higher than usual. So if a woman is pregnant, her body will maintain that higher temperature consistent, consistently. And we're not talking like a crazy high temperature. We're talking like four tenths of a degree higher than usual. Um, but anyway, her body will maintain that higher temperature and she will not get her period. And typically they say that if you've had 18 days of a sustained high temperature, then you're probably pregnant. And um, she'll be able to find that out maybe even before uh, the use of you know, pregnancy tests over the counter. So if a woman though is not pregnant, her body temperature will drop and then she will get her period. So that's kind of an overview of the woman's cycle. So again, the infertile phase is in the beginning. That would be when she gets her period and then in the days that follow it. Um, And typically those days are usually dry. And then she goes into the fertile phase where there's the development of the cervical mucus. um, And we're leading up to ovulation where she releases the egg. And that often is around, you know, the midpoint of her cycle, which might be around day 14. um, Because most cycles are about 28 days long, although it can vary for a woman. And then we go into the post-ovulatory phase, uh, which starts off with a little bit of, you know, one or two days of fertility possible. Um, But then um, it becomes this infertile phase where uh, the elevated body temperature remains uh, simply because there's a possibility of pregnancy. And then if she's not pregnant, it will drop down and she will get her period. So the key hormone levels in a cycle 
is that um, you know in the beginning of her cycle during that follicular phase you're going to see high amounts of estrogen lower amounts of progesterone but then after the ovulatory phase after she's ovulated you're going to see progesterone higher than estrogen and again that higher level of progesterone is the body's attempt to keep the baby in place if there is a baby um, yeah so that's kind of how that works now if you're gonna do um, natural family planning um, the kind that I have used and again like I said there's different schools of thought on natural family planning some will only use mucus readings some will use temperature and mucus readings every everybody's a little bit different but on the whole they're very similar the daily apps observations that I learned in the symptothermal method was two things you wanted to look for number one you wanted to look for your basal body temperature so you want to evaluate your body's temperature at complete rest with an oral thermometer taken at the same time every day and as soon as you wake up even before you sit up in bed if possible so you want to do this because if you think oh you know what first I'm gonna you know take the dog for a walk and then I'll come back and take my temperature or first I'm gonna go downstairs and use the bathroom and then I'll take my temperature you don't want to do that because the longer you are awake the more your body temperature will increase it's just a natural thing so ideally you want to place that thermometer you know on your phone so that when your alarm goes off and you reach for it you you know you barely have to sit up and you're taking your your temperature reading so that's one daily observation you want to make and I feel like when you become more familiar with natural family planning you'll know when you can take shortcuts you'll know hey you know what it's Saturday and I really want to sleep in so I am not going to set my alarm and I am not going to take my mucus reading or I'm sorry my temperature reading you'll know when you can do that and you'll also know when you know you really want that particular valuable piece of data on your chart and you're willing to set an alarm and get that temperature reading um, so you'll start to learn that but anyway so temperature is one daily observation the second daily observation is mucus and this would be where the woman evaluates for the presence or the condition of mucus that her body might be secreting and how she does this is each and every time before and after using the toilet or taking a shower she wipes front to back with flat toilet tissue and a complete examination of the sample means touching and trying to stretch the mucus between two fingers yeah guys I know this is kind of gross but she just needs to understand what she's seeing and she's looking for consistency and especially she's looking for changes in consistency and she always wants to record the most fertile symptom in a given day okay <laughs> so basically these are the kinds of things she could see she might see kind of like a clear film which is really nothing significant it's more watery based um, it's definitely not slippery it's just kind of like water and and she'll start to realize okay this is not significant and she would call that or nothing at all she would call a dry day 
And then there's another category of mucus, which I would call opaque. And this would be if the mucus was white, yellow, or cloudy. Um, this would be considered fertile, but only if ovulation has not yet happened. So if she knows she hasn't ovulated yet, then when she sees even opaque uh, mucus, she's gonna consider that as possibly fertile mucus, okay? Um, then we have the clear, slippery, raw egg <laughs> kind of mucus. Again, usually very clear, very slippery, very stretchy. That is considered, again, very fertile. Um, again, only if ovulation has not happened yet. And the reason why this is present in a woman is because it helps the sperm travel more easily to the egg. It actually provides food for the sperm to live while they're kind of camped out in the woman's fallopian tubes, waiting and hoping for that, um, that egg. And in fact, studies have shown that sperm can actually, quote, unquote, kind of like smell which ovary is going to release the egg and they will all kind of run in that direction, which is amazing. So it provides food for the sperm, that clear, slippery, raw egg like mucus um, for them to live up to five days, which is really cool. Um, anyway, after a, a few days after ovulation, a woman will become infertile. So if she sees any type of mucus at that point, whether it's opaque or whether it's clear or stretchy, it's usually considered, um, you know, tacky, insignificant. Um, she might even get to the point where she doesn't even have to write that down um, because she's already identified ovulation. One of my first questions that I had when I was learning about NFP, um, especially learning about how you take mucus samples, is I wanted to know, like, I just thought there was a lot of variability in that, and I was really, um, I don't know, I was just kind of like, whoa, are you kidding me? Like, you expect me to analyze this and make something of it like I, I just I was having a hard time with it and I wanted to know does NFP account for things like yeast infections or the natural lubrication that is produced in the woman from sexual arousal or even like residual seminal fluid after intercourse does NFP account for these things and the answer is yes it does and if you pursue learning natural family planning from an actual instructor, you will learn exactly how to account for those, those variables. So it is very scientific and very well planned and thought out. So I want to pause for just a moment and make a biblical connection here. Um, you know, in the Song of Songs, that beautiful book, it's a, you know, it's a part of the Bible that is truly, um, you know, a love song. Anyway, in Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 12, the man says to his lover, as he marvels at her hidden beauty, quote, a garden enclosed, my sister, my bride, a garden enclosed, a fountain sealed, end quote. I don't know if you remember ever hearing that verse. It's beautiful. But anyway, that verse was my inspiration for something I noticed and learned um, and so I just want to like connect that imagery to some science of natural family planning. So a woman's fertility is kind of like a door to the garden that grows new life. 
And I say that because sometimes a woman's body is very open to the admittance of a man's sperm and the possibility of new life. And at other times, this, you know, metaphorical garden door is closed. And here's how I want to prove that. (laughs) Um, Remember how previously I mentioned that, um, you know, even a woman's saliva, the drying patterns of her saliva will be different depending on where she is in her menstrual cycle. Um, This is because estrogen has an effect on the body, obviously, of a woman. And so we know that it has an effect on mucus, her vaginal mucus. Um, But this also includes her saliva in her mouth. Isn't that fascinating? So again, I don't have a slide for you to see because this is a podcast, but let me describe to you what the drying patterns of cervical mucus looks like depending on where she is in the cycle. So a woman's cervical mucus will follow these types of patterns as she progresses through her fertility in a given cycle. So when she's not fertile, um, if you were to look at the drying pattern of her cervical mucus on like a, you know, a slide underneath a microscope, you would see only dots, um, maybe some lines you would see, but for the most part, you're going to see dots. And let's imagine in our minds that those dots are kind of like rocks or boulders that are um, preventing one from getting inside of the garden. And truly, this um, consistency of the mucus is actually preventing uh, sperm from entering simply because she's not fertile. Then transitional um, dried cervical mucus would look like you would kind of see some fern patterns that start to appear again in the dried form of this on a on a microscope slide. But those ferns to me kind of represent or remind you of, hey, you see ferns in a garden, right? Um, so the ferning patterns kind of mean that the sperm is allowed into the garden. In fact, um, when she's very fertile, very, very fertile, you're going to see tons of ferning patterns uh, in dried cervical mucus samples. And the reason why you're going to see that pattern is because that ferning shape actually helps channel the sperm up through the cervix uh, to hopefully reach the egg. Isn't that beautiful? So the woman's body literally becomes more welcoming uh, to the man man's sperm if she is fertile, if she's more likely to conceive a child. Anyway, so I just love that connection between that biblical reference. Again, Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 12, the man says to his lovers, he marvels over her hidden beauty, a garden enclosed, my sister, my bride, a garden enclosed, a fountain sealed. So anyway, so it's just interesting how a man's sperm might only encounter um, boulders and rocks and therefore cannot really get in. And then at other times, the garden is open and there's this, you know, there's these ferns, right? But (laughs) anyway, I just think that's really interesting. So um, 
And like I said, even the saliva in a woman's mouth will show the same drying patterns as her cervical mucus. And this, guys, is due to the salt content in her body. But I do need to give you this claimer. Uh, to date, no NFP methodology endorses the use of analyzing saliva to accurately determine fertility. So if you do choose to buy one of those like lipstick looking I think one of the brands is Lady Q. If you want one of those things so that you can, you know, analyze your mouth saliva drying patterns, feel free, have fun, go ahead, but don't put much stock in it um, because nobody yet endorses the use of that. But it could be, you know, it could be kind of like a little bit of a double check if you wish. Let's talk about progesterone's effect on temperature. So beginning either just before or just ovulation, and remember ovulation is when a woman's body releases an egg, her body maintains a higher basal body temperature because of the possibility of pregnancy. So in layman's terms, this means, you know, a baby needs a warmer environment than usual in order to feel cozy and grow. That's kind of a way that you could remember it. Um, so again, it's either just before or just ovulation that that oven temperature kicks in. Now, it's only 0.4 or 4 tenths of a degree difference in her waking temperature, but it's still significant. It's still something to notice, and only God is in charge of when that temperature is going to kick on. Um, and you know how sometimes you might preheat an oven before you start baking something? Or if you're like me, <laughs> you're, you know, you don't have the order totally perfect and you put in your items and then you turn on the oven, either way, the baking is going to start, right? So that's kind of the imagery I think of here is, you know, husband and wife, they come together, um, they provide the ingredients as it were to potentially bake a bun in the oven, but only God himself uh, turns on the oven when he feels it's the right time. So um, it could be, you know, before the contents are in the oven, it could be slightly after the contents are in the oven, but it's going to be around the time of ovulation when the woman releases an egg. Um, anyway, so a woman is trying to look for a temperature shift if she is doing um, the symptothermal method, which is, which is again what I'm experienced with and so that's kind of why I'm talking a little bit of more about this particular methodology, but like I said, there are other methods of natural family planning and some of them don't use temperature data at all. So as you learn about natural family planning, you'll research and figure out which method is most comfortable for you. But if you are using temperature and mucus data, um, to identify this temperature shift, couples will look for six lower temps that come before three higher temps. So you want to be like graphing this and there's wonderful um, graphs online that you can download. I also have one that my husband and I made um, based on all the different kinds of graphs that we've seen out there. We kind of created our own that we feel is the best. So if that's something that you would be interested in, I'm happy to email it to you as an attachment. Um, you know, just email me at fashionedbyfaithpodcast at gmail.com. Um, but anyway, the highest of those six lower temperatures that I speak of is called 
or is where you're going to draw a line on your chart and label it the pre-rise baseline. And then the couple counts four-tenths of a degree or 0.4 degrees above the pre-rise baseline to determine what is called the full thermal shift and they draw another line on the chart. So when you're looking at the chart basically you're going to see um, you know temperature data all plotted right and then you're going to see maybe lines connecting them kind of like a would it be called scatter plot? I forget it's been a little while <laughs> since I've been in math class but then the couple's going to be drawing two lines and the bottom one is going to be called the pre-rise baseline and that is going to be the highest of the lower temperatures we're looking for six lower temperatures and then the higher line is going to be the full thermal shift and that is going to just be measured by four tenths of a degree higher than that pre-rise baseline okay so couples who hope to conceive a child generally try to unite two days two days before the predicted temperature rise and again you're just predicting based on the data on your chart and you can also you know make that forecast by looking at previous charts and how your body typically behaves but again every cycle is different so you got to look at the chart that you're in um, so anyway, so couples trying to conceive, they unite two days before the predicted temperature rise so that sperm are ready and waiting already in the woman's fallopian tubes before the egg is released. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get pregnant after ovulation, after the egg is released. It's just less likely. So um, generally, couples want to unite two days before um, that egg, or two days before the temperature rise, um, because you can't you can't actually measure using the symptothermal method you can't actually measure when that egg is specifically released we just get estimates on it based on this data so if the woman is not pregnant um, her temperature will drop down again in about 11 to 16 days and that's usually very consistent um, even if a woman has irregular cycles where it varies in length we usually find that the length variability happens in the first half of her cycle maybe where her body is gearing up to ovulate but then it doesn't and so more time is needed and then it gears up to ovulate again and maybe this time it does um, that's where usually you see the lengthening of the cycle in its entirety but after ovulation um, that second half of the cycle um, you know is usually pretty consistently 11 to 16 days generally um, and then like I said if she's not pregnant her temperature will drop um, at the end of that 11 to 16 days and then she will get her period and it's kind of nice because when I have taken my temperature in the morning and I see oh we just had a temperature drop it's great because I know this is the day I'm going to get my period so that can be a really nice way of knowing ahead of time um, just by seeing what your waking temperature is so at this point I just want to ask you guys a question a couple questions to think about when do you think t a temperature reading should be discounted as, as like an outlier? In other words, can you think of times when a temperature reading might not be a good indicator of a woman's fertility? And hopefully coming to your mind right now <laughs> are things like, oh, if she has a fever or 
um, you know, if she took her temperature at the wrong time, or maybe she had a sleep disturbance, you know, she was up during the night for whatever reason, and therefore she never got the rest that she needed. All of these are reasons why a woman's reading, temperature reading, might be higher than normal. Um, and therefore, if you get that type of data, that type of temperature reading data, you can certainly plot it on the chart, but you also want to write hey, let's disregard this piece of data because there's other things that were affecting it, okay? And that's not going to really too much throw off, you know, your ability to predict her fertility or to analyze it on the chart simply because um, these kinds of outliers happen all the time. Um, and also, you know, I, I don't want you to think that this type of thing affects the accuracy of NFP or... Um, just because, you know, gosh, if a woman has a fever, she's probably not going to want to unite anyway. She's not feeling the best. If she hasn't slept through the night for whatever reason, and therefore she has a higher uh, waking temperature, um, you know, she's probably not going to be in the mood, right? So um, anyway, so usually if you have an outlier type of temperature, um, usually you don't also have to worry about... Um, it affecting accuracy, if that makes sense. <laughs> okay, so let's play a little game. Even though I am not um, right there in front of you, <laughs> let's still try to play a game, okay? We'll try to make this as interactive as a podcast can get. Um, so I am going to say some numbers that I mentioned in this episode and I want to see if you can remember the significance of these numbers and maybe you want to jot them down um, whatever let's see how you do okay the number five I mentioned the number five in this episode do you recall what is significant about the number five okay I'll tell you you can see if you're right five is the amount of days that sperm can stay alive in a woman's body and of course, that's only if she is simultaneously producing that clear, stretchy, fertile mucus uh, that provides food for them while they're waiting. Okay, next number. This is a range of numbers between 24 and 48. Why is that significant? I'll tell you. Um, a peak day indicates that you will ovulate um, now or within 24 to 48 hours. So remember, once you identify peak day, just know that you're going to either ovulate right then or uh, between 24 and 48 hours later. What about the significance of 0 0.4 or 4 tenths? Do you remember that? <laughs> that is the degree difference between the pre-rise baseline and the full thermal shift. What about the range between the numbers 12 and 24? Do you remember that significance? <laughs> Here it is. Uh, once released from the ovary, an egg will only live for this many hours. What about just the number 24? Do you remember the significance of that? <laughs> if a woman is going to release more than one egg, she will do so within 24 hours of the first ovulation. How about the number six? 
Six represents the amount of days it takes for a fertilized egg to travel through the fallopian tubes and down into uh, the uterus for implantation. All right, and lastly, the number 18. 18, uh, that number uh, refers to you're probably pregnant if you have sustained a high temperature for this many days. 18. Oh, and one last one. How about the numbers 11 to 16? Do you remember that significance? <laughs> 11 to 16 is the standard length of the post-ovulatory phase. So that was just a little by, NFP by the numbers game. <laughs> All right, so the next big step I want to talk about with NFP is if you're married, um, I would just encourage you to have you know, an essential dialogue with your spouse where you prayerfully answer this question. How open are we at this time to having a child? Now, this is a question that married couples using NFP ask each other on a very regular basis. And you guys, it is regular. It is something you have to really talk about. And, you know, sometimes you might not have the answer to the question, but it is still good to ask it to your spouse. Um, just about daily, I'm telling you. And even if you guys don't arrive at an answer, the great thing it's going to do for your marriage is it's going to increase communication. And if you're communicating about a big topic like that, then you're going to find that it's so much easier to talk about other small things that might be less important, but which you still need to talk about as a married couple, right? So, Anyway, that is the first and foremost question I think couples using NFP need to ask themselves on a regular, regular daily basis because things can change. Your mood can change from one day to the next. Um, so it's really important to, to ask it regularly. Again, even if you don't have an answer, still ask the question. And then after discussing with your spouse each day, you pretty much need to think about where are you? If you saw like a spectrum, you know, like a line going from left to right, are you on the side which is, you know, we're very open to life at this time? Or are you, you know, on the other side where you're rather conservative, where you can't be? Again, that's something that you want to discern as a couple. And I really encourage you to seek the guidance of a good and holy priest. Now, your NFP practices are going to correspond to your openness, okay? So I'm going to go through the... Um, I'm not going to tell you the rules because you need to seek the guidance of a professional NFP instructor, um, depending on the methodology that you choose. But I want to just share with you a glimpse of, yes, there are rules to correspond to your openness. Um, so let's say you're rather conservative for whatever reason, um, you know, you and your husband, um, and maybe you've sought the guidance of a good and Catholic holy priest, um, for whatever reason you feel that God is calling you to, um, you know, hold off from having children right now. Um, there is a rule for identifying when you're completely infertile during the last portion of your cycle. And at this point, um, you know, once you've ovulated and you've completed some, some of the rules, there's no further temperature or mucus readings necessary, and a couple can unite, um, you know, with the confidence of knowing that they're not going to conceive a child. So again, that's um, if a couple has discerned that they need to, you know, they have grave reason to 
um, postpone a pregnancy at this time. So there's still no barrier between the couple, but they have chosen to use um, the science of natural family planning to determine you know, when they're comfortable um, coming together. And when they're not coming together, when they're not uniting, you know, they have offered up, they have sacrificed, I hope, in a prayerful way, um, the pleasure of uniting um, as, as a prayerful sacrifice. Anyway, moving on that spectrum, going toward now being more open, uh, there is a rule for identifying the completion of ovulation. Um, it involves mucus and temperature readings. Uh, there are two rules for uniting before ovulation, and these involve the timing of day that intercourse happens and involves mucus samples and temperature readings. And that's, that's really exciting to learn. More science is there, and you'll learn that from your instructor uh, about why timing of day matters. <laughs> anyway, continuing on the spectrum toward being very, very open to new life, um, there is a rule for having intercourse during your period. It involves analyzing hormone levels uh, for the previous six months. And, um, you know, you can be so open, you can be so far on the spectrum that uh, you can choose um, to follow no rules at all, um, not even use NFP, as it were, <laughs> and, and just be surprised. So that's just a little overview of how your NFP practices correspond to your answer of that question is, you know, of how open are we at this time to having a child. Um, all right, so now let's talk about how to achieve pregnancy. This is always a fun topic. So according to what I have learned, um, you want to use the previous cycles, you know, that you have charted, all that data that you've collected, uh, to kind of forecast which cycle day you will most likely have a temperature rise. And then you want to plan to have intercourse two to three days before that expected temperature rise. And like I said previously, the goal is to have the sperm sitting ready and waiting in the woman's fallopian tubes before she releases her egg and before she has a temperature rise. Since nobody knows when a temperature rise will happen, because I told you only God, you know, turns on the woman's oven, as it were, <laughs> to cook that bun. Um, since nobody knows when that temperature rise is going to happen except for God himself, uh, a man and a woman look for fertile type mucus in the woman to indicate that it might be happening soon. Now, if you feel you need to postpone a pregnancy, uh, you want to learn and adhere to the rules taught to you by your NFP instructor, and you want to understand that it is okay to not always adhere to the rules. You don't have to feel like you're boxed in and you have to apply to these rules. You have complete freedom to live and love as you wish in your marriage. Um, but just know that if you choose to not adhere to the rules, you know, that might increase your chance of pregnancy in that case. So people usually at this point are like, when can we learn the rules? When are you going to tell me the rules? So again, I ask that you learn from a licensed NFP instructor. And I also really, really tell you to be present with your spouse, ready to learn together. You know, if circumstances are such that um, the spouses can't be together to learn initially, you know, certainly still, you know, learn as much as you can. But please try to teach your spouse. But you know, the best situation is learning together because it, you know, you need that. You need, it's the buddy system here, you guys. <laughs> like, it's, it's information that is going to just assimilate better between you two if you're learning at the same time. 
So again, please email me at fashionedbyfaithpodcast at gmail.com if you want a copy of the NFP chart that my husband and I designed. Um, it has a place for, you know, the month, the year, the woman's age, um, the cycle's length, and then there's a place for the date, the day of the week, um, a place to record whether or not she has menses, the sensation she might be experiencing, the color she might see of that mucus, the consistency, which would be how much uh, it might stretch between her fingers. And there is a little ruler on this chart um, to sort of allow her to see, you know, is it stretching a quarter of an inch or a half an inch? Again, she's mostly looking for change um, in what her body is producing. And then she can also, she and he can write on the chart um, when intercourse has happened. And then there is um, plenty of area to um, chart your temperature data and also to make notes on it for, you know, if there was some sort of sleeping disturbance or, you know, God forbid if the woman has a fever or something like that, you know, you can um, make note of that on the chart. Now, my suggestions for having the best communication with your spouse on this topic of NFP, I think it, it should kind of go like this. So gentlemen, I think the best advice I can give you is you hand your wife the thermometer each morning. So maybe the thermometer should be on your phone, on your alarm clock. You know, as soon as it goes off, um, hand the thermometer to, to her. And at the end of each day, ask her to describe her observations, her mucus observations, and then fill out the chart accordingly. So I really feel if the man handles, remembering to handle or to hand her the thermometer and asks her every day, what were your mucus observations? And, you know, is judicious in filling out that chart. Um, that's just seems to be how it runs the smoothest. <laughs> and then, you know, ladies, when you're being reminded by your spouse every day, um, that he's going to ask you those questions, eventually you will remember to always check for those mucus observations before and after using the toilet and before and after taking a shower. Um, I just want to warn you guys though, please, when you know it's early in the morning and the lights are off and you can't see anything and your alarm goes off, do not, do not try to aim the thermometer into the woman's mouth <laughs> because... My husband has tried to do that, and it just does not go over well. He can't see. He's groggy, and I'm scared because this thing is poking at me. So <laughs> so anyway, so just make sure you hand the thermometer to her hand, and uh, she will get it into her mouth, okay? <laughs> anyway, so just to review, you guys, you know, being co-creators in New Life, marriage really takes three. It's the husband and wife becoming one and God is part of that union. It really takes all three of you uh, for the miracle of new life. And um, at this point in my presentation, I give people a chance to kind of put into practice a little bit what we just learned. Okay, sorry, let me preface that. I keep everything G-rated, but I ask for some volunteers to come up and uh, we do a little baking lesson demonstration to show how to co-create with God to make a bun in the oven. So I bring out my little toaster oven. I bring out aprons. I put an apron on the woman. I put an apron on the man. We have um, a pan for this bun in the oven. We have all ingredients and things that we might need. 
And usually I get the audience kind of laughing at this point. And um, so let me just kind of describe it to you. And maybe you can just sort of envision it in your mind. Because I think if you have this vision, you it might, it might help you guys to put it into practice. Okay. So when we look at the ingredients of this little baking demonstration, um, the woman, as you know, contributes the egg. Okay. Now here we're talking about like you know, a chicken's egg. But just imagine, again, the woman contrib contributes the egg. So in my presentation, I would hand the woman, while she's wearing an apron, I would hand her a chicken's egg to hold for everybody to see, okay? The man, obviously, contributes the sperm to this equation, which we refer to as wild oats. So I give him a can of um, oats, <laughs> believe it or not. And then I just remind the audience that only God can turn up the temperature or turn on the oven, okay? He's in charge of that. So to create a bun in the oven, let's say that you must have three ingredients. You have to have the raw egg from the woman, you have to have the wild oats from the man, and then the oven has to be turned on by God. Okay, so the oven represents the woman's body, if you haven't caught on to that yet. <laughs> the pan, the bread pan um, that we're going to do this uh, baking in, the bread pan represents her receptivity to her husband. The wild oats represent the husband's fertility, and the egg represents the woman's fertility. So remember, the husband and wife contribute the physical ingredients, but only God himself decides when the egg will be cracked and when the oven will be heated up, okay? So anyway, I give them all, I give everybody in the audience a sample chart, and we go through and we talk about which days uh, the couple in this, you know, sample chart united, and we talk about whether or not we think that particular act of love is likely to result in new life as a child. Anyway, and so that, um, you know, everybody starts laughing usually and it kind of gets fun. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to say, you know what, this particular uniting, we don't think it's going to result in a child, but on this particular uniting, we do. Anyway, and then I usually have them discuss with a person beside them, you know, take a look at this chart that you have. Is it acceptable that the chart is not completely filled out? Um, and I would answer that question by saying, um, yes, it, it is okay. Um, because in reality, you're not going to have your charts perfect all the time. You're going to collect as much data as you can, and that's what you're going to go with. Um, another question I will ask them to discuss is, can you tell if the couple is hoping for a child based on when they're uniting in this chart? Then I ask them the question, when is peak day? They have to analyze very carefully for peak day. That's very important. When is her pre-rise, or what is her pre-rise baseline temperature? They look for that. I give them highlighters and they draw it on the chart. My next question is, when is her full thermal, or what is her full thermal shift temperature? And they use a different color highlighter and they highlight that. Next, I say, in the past, what is typically the length of this woman's post-ovulatory phase? And the reason why that is on the, on the chart is because I have a little corner of the chart where the couple can record um, previous cycle data if they wish so that they can look for trends, so that they can look for averages, and it can help make some um, predictions on what's to come. Next, does the chart tell us if she's pregnant or not pregnant? And then I say, if so, what confirms this? If not, 
when will it tell us? So that's kind of cool to see the audience, you know, some people raising their hand saying, yes, the chart does tell us she's either pregnant or she's not. And it's interesting to hear what people say. And then some will say, no, we need a little bit more temperature data and then we'll know. But anyway, uh, this is the conclusion of my presentation. What I, what I do is I end up saying, well, guys, you are correct. This woman is pregnant, and here's how you can tell it on the chart. And, and we look, um, and we see that, you know, it only has, um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Here's what we say. We say the chart does not say yet whether or not she's pregnant because it has high temps for 11 days, but she needs to have high temps for... 18 days before we can say with certainty that she probably is pregnant and she needs to, you know, run to CVS to get that test. Um, anyway, so then I show them another slide and I say, here's her temperature data on cycle day 37. That is the 18th day of her sustained high temperature. Congratulations, couple. It looks like you do have a bun in the oven. And then I reach into the, um, <laughs> the little toaster oven I brought and I actually have a fake loaf of bread that looks so real and golden and delicious and I um, hand it to the happy couple and usually if they're brave enough they pose for a picture with me <laughs> but anyway so that's kind of how I give an overview of NFP to people and I hope it has helped you so if you are ready to learn more about NFP I want to just give you some good information, um, I would encourage you to look up Dr. Ann Nolte, that's A-N-N-E, and the Nolte is N-O-L-T-E, of the Gianna Center for Women. They are, uh, they have offices located in, in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, they're constantly growing, um, but they use NAPRO technology to offer 100% Catholic and 100% pro-life medical solutions uh, for infertility. So I really encourage you, she is a good friend of mine from high school and she has really rocked the uh, <laughs> rocked the world with bringing us here in this country something that did not exist before. She's got people coming from all over the world to see her. So I really encourage you to check her out, especially if you're experiencing any kind of infertility. I also have some local friends that teach the Creighton model um, of uh, natural family planning. It is excellent. I have learned some of that too. It's so, so cool. Um, so if you would like to find a local teacher to you, visit fertilitycare.org. Um, some of my friends are even able to offer distance learning. So if you would like me to recommend some of the teachers that I know, again, shoot me an email at fashionedbyfaith.com podcast at gmail.com and I can give you the names of those who are local to me but those also who are willing to do uh, long distance learning and again email me if you want a copy of that NFP chart uh, before I close here let's go over my sources just so that you can double check me so that you can learn more information the sources I used for this podcast episode are the Catechism of the Catholic Church um, my local diocese, the Catholic News Agency, the Couple to Couple League, also Marquette University, uh, the Mayo Foundation for Medical Education and Research, the Natural Family Planning Teachers Association of Ireland, believe it or not. Um, I've also used some information from Familiaris Consortio, which is an apostolic exhortation written by St. 
Pope John Paul II in 1981. Also, Humane Vitae, which was an encyclical written by Pope Paul VI in 1968. Um, also, I quoted some things from Joy and Hope, a pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world, uh, resulting from the Second Vatican Council. Um, also, some items from Christopher West. He's that acclaimed author on theology of the body. So let's see if I, if you are able to answer those essential questions uh, that I posed at the beginning of this episode, and let's see if you can answer them real quick in just five seconds. Are you ready? So the first was, um, what sets apart a modern day marriage from our parents' and grandparents' generations? What is natural family planning? Why is NFP the only means of family planning approved by the Catholic Church? What are two benefits? Just think of two benefits that you could tell somebody else about, about the benefits of using NFP. <laughs> okay, so hopefully you can answer all those. If you have any questions, be sure to email me at fashionedbyfaithpodcast at gmail.com. It's holy homework time. <laughs> okay, listeners, my challenge for you this week is to ask somebody if they know about natural family planning. Just get the conversation started. And when you're talking with that individual or individuals, um, you know, share with them what you learned um, and see what they say. Invite them to listen to this podcast episode and um, yeah, just get the conversation started. See who out there knows about it. See who out there is using it um, and be encouraged, hopefully. And here's a question which we'll post on our Fashioned by Faith group on Facebook so that you can share with us your thoughts. I'd like to know which method of natural family planning do you prefer and why? Uh, do you like the temperature and mucus data together, or do you prefer something that only uses mucus data? Or just tell me what method you like and why. I'm really open to learning more about the other methodologies. As always, please know that the thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are just my own, but I am hoping to convey the truth of God's teaching. If I've said anything that you think is an error, please give me your feedback at fashionedbyfaithpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and you guys, spread the word. Tell your friends to visit fashionedbyfaith.com to click on any link and listen through their favorite podcast platform. This was so much fun, you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with me to the end. And we'll see you on Wednesday for our next episode. And until then, stay true to the faith and keep growing in style.